0: Hi, my name is Temach, and my guest today is Shlomo Aleichem. And today we are looking good. And today we're looking at very interesting and important subject, and that is the fact uh, that there are almost no surviving Schneersons, while it was a very large family back in Russia. And I think we can't say narrowly that the only reason for this is Gulag and Holocaust. I think there are deeper reasons and we would like to address them today and also we would like to sort of take inventory of surviving shrines today so without further ado i'm okay. going to pass the mic to uh, shalom aleichem
1: okay. do you have any do you have any questions you want to get the discussion started or uh,
0: no i thought uh, then... you, you know let's 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 sort of look at the russian culture and see how it might have impacted the Schneerson family itself.
1: Okay, well, you probably know more about this subject than I do uh, about the impact of Russian culture on uh, Jewish life or on traditional Jewish life. But um, I'll say something and then, um, you know, uh, I'd like to hear your take on uh, what's going on or went on. In in my opinion, um, among the uh, wealthier and so-called higher classes, I mean, uh, you know, in Giddish, you would say, Schenner and nicer people, quote, end quote. Um, I think think in in the last, uh, certainly starting in the 1880s or later, I can't pinpoint the date, there was a great deal of acculturation going on among Russian Jews. Even though Russian Jews were still, uh, by and large, limited uh, to the pale, but there certainly were areas in in southern Russia uh, where, you know, Jews could go and live. And, uh, you know, what comes to my mind immediately is uh, the area, the city of Dnepetrovska. I think, this area was called what the New Russia or New Ukraine. I, I just don't remember. Yes. Uh, and yeah, and I, if my if my memory and facts are correct, I believe this was not uh in the pale and Jews were able to settle there. And um and there were tens of thousands of um Jews from White Russia, uh, if not more. I don't have the figures. Um, who settled there? I mean, uh, the, you know, in our, for what we're discussing, the Rebbe's family itself. I mean, uh, I mean, people are confused and they say that the Reblevik or the Rebbe was a Ukrainian Jew. I mean, nothing could be further from the fact I mean, they were white Russian Jews who lived near Vitebsk. That's where, you know, I believe that's where the Rebbe's father was even born. Podobaranka, I think, is the name of this little town. And uh, these were white Russian Jews who emigrated to um, New Russia. And New Russia, or New Ukraine, um, was, in my opinion, um, similar to the United States. I mean, people came there to start a, not only a new economic life, but I think many of them, uh, you know, to use the, uh, the apocryphal story that they say about the United States, that the Atlantic Ocean is full of tefillin and and that people threw off while crossing the Atlantic to the New World. I think it's also true uh, in the Ukraine that many, the, the I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of Jews or whatever came there from, um, you know, many of them just uh, abandoned uh, Judaism, probably a little bit different than the United States because many of them remained, um, you know, uh, Jewish in different ways, either nationalistic um zionistic and you know of course you know in the in the firm world in the religious world today the bund is um you know the bund is a uh, bad group of people but you know if we're we're here objectively looking the bund were people who uh who were proud of being jews and uh, of course there were many jews who joined various anarchist and socialist parties as human beings rather than as Jews.
0: Just let me, let me just say, Bund, of course, is the Jewish branch of the Communist Party. Well, it wasn't necessarily communist. I mean, uh, it, it could have been socialist. Socialist, well. yes, I mean, yeah. Yeah. you make this distinction, I don't. But. Okay, <laughs> that's yeah. where we're coming from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, but that, that's not that important for what I'm saying is that unlike the United States, um, I think many Jews in, new, uh, in the new uh, southern Ukraine retained Jewish identity, and perhaps they were forced to retain their Jewish identity, uh, because after all, they were living in Tsarist Russia. So there were, and, you know, I'm sure even religious life was more intense than the United States in, uh, in the 1890s uh, until World War, the end of World War I. But, but it w- there are a lot of similarities, and people just don't understand it. Uh, because if one doesn't know, you know the history of Jews in Russia, um, this, this is lost on them, so. Uh, I mean,
0: this, I the, the, this is an important distinction between, let's say, culture of uh, Southern Ukraine and Belarus, but the assimilation wasn't just uh, localized to this area. I think assimilation, especially assimilation of upper-educated classes uh, to whom Schnersons belong. It yeah, happened, no, it happened I mean, in, in Lithuania. It happened everywhere. It happened even in
1: well, Poland. Absolutely. I mean, you read the memoirs of, uh, what's his name? Hesko Kotick, I think was his name. I, I read it a few years ago. It's translated into English. And I think it had an introduction by uh, uh, this fellow from Israel who's a professor uh, who writes about Hasidim. I can't remember his name right now. Um, and you read your fesco memoirs, and it's fascinating, about how in the 1860s and 1870s, uh, the shtetl was undergoing uh, major changes, and a lot of the young people uh, were open to um, uh, foreign ideas. I mean, it didn't pick up steam until later, but, you know, it was the, 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 um, the roots were there, the seeds were planted. And there's no question about it. And, uh, you know, and and even earlier, I mean, uh, you know, the Lubavitchers have a little pamphlet uh, that allegedly was written by the Rayats, uh, the Tzema and the Haskalah movement. So uh, the Rayats, uh, you know, himself really wasn't writing history. He was writing what was going on in his lifetime and transposing it uh 50 years or 60 years earlier that's what he was doing um, and um so that isn't my uh chidush, that's something that others have said to and people who know more about uh, academic history than i do and uh definitely was doing it and uh so when he was writing about uh Haskola and uh the yes he there were historical people involved that he writes about and historical facts, but the the thrust of this, what was going on in his lifetime, and we know that in his lifetime, even the city of Lubavitch had a strong uh, socialist Jewish socialist anarchist movement because allegedly they threw stones at the uh, home of uh, of their shop and uh, you know they were. Uh, physically um, involved in congregations with uh, the students in the yeshiva later, you know, in the late 1890s and, the, and the turn of the century. So, um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, things were changing. What, what, what can you add to that?
0: Okay, I think, I think I'd think i like to refocus our podcast a little bit. I think what we're trying to understand here is that this is huge family ishnerism if you take all the Rebbes in Babruisk, in Ladi, in many other places, uh, just the family itself with all the cousins, uh, and there's uh, it I mean, it would be exaggeration to say that what, do 20,000 of them, 10,000 of them, how many?
1: I, I don't know, I mean, uh, you know, um... See, I'm still unsure whether all Schneerson's today are really descendants of the, uh, of the, of the you know, uh, Probably most of them are, but uh, there's nothing to say that the name Schneerson was to use the rebus phrase copyrighted by, uh, by the Schneerson family. There, I mean, there clearly was some Rabbi Schneerson in uh, Romania in the Eastern part of Romania who wasn't part of the family. But but his name Schneerson, so Schneerson. Yeah, I, but, uh, I,
0: let's say let's say let's say we compare them to other uh, families, yeah, tatelbaum yeah, and Twarzki's, yeah, which which yeah. still quite a number of them remain. Which Absolutely. Is, which, which is which is not the case for Schneersons. I think the point here is that I think it's too easy to blaming to blame this on Holocaust and even Gulag. Uh, And the fact of the matter is what we posted about this NKVD officer uh, who, he was already communism oriented before revolution. And there were many like him. So the fact of the matter is you can not say automatically that the destruction of the Schneerson family, which is, I think you and I define as really a mystery. It is, it's hard to understand how something could be obliterated so thoroughly uh, right, so I, such I think, a high number.
1: Right, well, I think it's important to, um, at this point to um, just provide a little bit of a historical background about the Schneerson family itself. So, if I may, just do this in two minutes. Um,
0: oh, we take have the ball.
1: Okay, we have the ball. Tanya, Rabbi, Rabbi Schneer, Zalman, Schneerson. Uh, it wasn't called Schneerson. Rabbi Schneerson, Ben Baruch, or Hovitch, whatever. Uh, that's fine. His his children and he had um, three sons. Um, uh, one is the successor of Dovid. Then there was Rechaim Avram, and then there was a, a younger son, Moshe, whom uh, it seems that historical um, research uh, has proven uh, converted to a different religion and. Um, you know, um, and even the, the, the base reba, which is, in my opinion, and the opinion of most non-cultist Lubavitchers, the, the authoritative history of the first three to four generations of Chabad. So Ramosha Moshe um, converted for whatever reason, maybe he was mentally ill, couldn't have been normal. I mean, uh, uh, some people claim he converted out of uh, revenge, that he wanted to be the successor of his father, rather than uh, uh
0: come the, on let's not touch this yeah, he, he wasn't okay he wasn't okay all right and that's
1: it yeah there's some people claim that i mean academics i mean I, i've seen it in academic works i'm not saying i agree with it but you know i've seen this in uh, i forgot where is it louis jacobs book uh, seeker of unity or someplace i don't want to blame everything on louis jacobs but um then we have the next generation. Now it's what you were saying. Now the Schneerson family expanded because now you had the children of of, of Dober, and you had the children of Chaim Abram and the children of Moshe. So the children of Moshe could be eliminated because they were shipped off to Israel, and um, you know, some of their descendants still called themselves Schneerson. The most famous one was Chaim Tzvi, who uh, was a world traveler and uh, was visited President Grant in the White House. And he went to South Africa, Australia. I guess he was a fundraiser for the... Uh, um, so we have Chaim, Chaim Tzvi Schneerson. So we we have a branch of the family in Israel, uh, but we still have... Um, you know, the children of uh, of the Mithila Rebbe and we have the children of Chaim Avram. Then we have uh, the Mithila Rebbe had a number of sons and then his son-in-law uh, who succeeded him, Menachem Mendel, Tzernot was actually the first one, I guess the first Lubavitcher Rebbe to call himself Schneerson, but clearly his uh, brother-in-law has used the name Schneerson as well, other uh, evidence of that, and so now we have all the descendants of these people, and, and right as of this point, the first three generations, uh, except for the, the son who went off the path, it seems that all the Schneersons uh, were, were religious, and the Tenochtitian died in 1866, so we can say that until the mid-19th century, there doesn't seem to be any uh, uh, cultural attrition, uh, but then the Tzaddik had, uh, what is it, six or seven sons? I always can't remember. And uh, the Mithalareba, other sons had many children. So the, the family expanded greatly at that point. And uh, but from then on, all these children had more children. So it, it expanded greatly. I, I'm not a mathematician, statistician. Um, so, but certainly for the first three generations, they were religious. The fourth generation in the Lubavitch, which you know we'll call the main line, um, still remained religious. Uh, the marash and then his brothers. We have no evidence that they weren't that the Kapister and the Njezineer uh, and the Ladir and, and all these others uh, all remained religious. Now we move into their children. So with their children, what we see. Is a hesitancy in assuming rabbinic leadership. Uh, the fourth generation, the children of the Tannaitic, had no such as es- hesitancy. They all wanted to be rabbis essentially, except for the oldest son, Rebor Shalom. But they also and he also had some form of uh, rabbinic leadership, although he wasn't a rebbe. So, but uh, they all wanted to be rabbis now. The children of these people, all not all, but mostly were very reluctant to assume leadership positions. And the only way I can explain it is that uh, they realized that they didn't have, it's not the knowledge, but they didn't have the, the supernatural powers that allegedly went with the position. That's the way I explain it. I mean, I'm ready to hear other um, positions, but let's say even when the Marash died, it seems that, you know, there were three sons who survived him. It seems that they all had a a great deal of hesitancy in moving into the position. Uh, The Raza, you know, he became a rebbe for a year, but he was never into it. The Rashab took a while before he got into it, maybe as much as ten years, according to some accounts, before he really. And the younger son certainly was far removed from that. Uh, And you know, the the you know, the fourth generation and and the the fourth generation the the fifth generation, really was, was he was he was since the Koppister was one of the oldest children at Sanat Sedeq, the second Koppister Rebbe really still knew his great-grandfather. He still knew the uh, So, But his children already, you Shlomo Zalman, Shneir Shlomo Zalman, who was the Mogginavos, the second Koppister rabbi, his children all did not become rabbis. A few were city rabbis, but they didn't become rabbis uh, because I presume it was the same issue. They, uh, they didn't feel they, they had it. And uh, so he was succeeded by a half brother, uh, and the same is true. The Dier did have a son who became a rebbe, and Mezhner. Uh, I'm not sure. I can't. But but so that takes care of the fifth generation. The fifth generation apparently were still religious, but by and large were very hesitant about assuming uh, religious genera- uh, leadership. By the sixth generation, which is the generation of, of Yosef um everything uh, you know, was completely different. The children of all the fifth-generation people who were reluctant to assume religious leadership, they, by and large, became uh, secularized and uh, acculturated in Russian-Jewish Russian, Russian Jewish culture. Some of them still remained active Jews, like Isaac Schneerson, who um, was a koziana rabbiner in Chernigov, but uh, you know he was hardly a, uh, you know regarded as a orthodox person, uh, and so the sixth generation already moved into acculturation. The seventh generation, you know, is the generation we're really talking about, and that's the generation of Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson himself, and that generation almost completely, with few exceptions. Uh, became completely assimilated. Uh, I'm using the word assimilated rather than acculturated uh, because they weren't even like Isaac Schneerson. They became completely uh, assimilated in Russian culture, as you've shown in in many of these documents that you've published, that they were part of. um... Now, in case anyone out there is thinking well. They're they're talking about Schneerson. They're not talking about the female line. Let me just add that the um, Maharash, who is the fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe, Shmuel Schneerson, had uh, four sons. One died before he was married, but so three sons and two daughters. So let's just examine that for a moment. Let's just pause and examine that for a moment. So it, the first son was the Razor Razalmanar. And uh, after a year or so of being a Reb in Lubavitch, he gave it up and became a a businessman in uh, Vitebsk. I think he was a large real estate owner and headed the anti-Zionist forces in Vitebsk. As far as I can tell, his daughter, and he only had one child, his daughter, uh, certainly was not active in Lubavitch. I never hear her, I think her married name was Wolfson. Uh, I never hear that name in Lubavitch history or anything like that, so finished. Um, the next son, uh, Menachem Mendel, um, you know, he seems to have been a character, as they say in the modern lingo, and uh, had to run from Russia because of gambling debts and lived, of all places, uh, in Corsica and died in Corsica. And uh, I believe eventually his remains were reinterred in Israel. Uh, I think it's Foss, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's maybe I'm correct.
0: Different. That's
1: correct. Yeah. Um, and his son went to Tom he's listed as a Tomim, But that's the end of what we hear about him. Uh we hear nothing more about him, and we hear nothing more about the daughters of um of uh and he had daughters, he was married three or four times, and uh that's the end of that. Then we interestingly you have two two uh, sons-in-law, one of them was Moshe cohen Hornstein, who came from a very wealthy, super wealthy family in the Volin uh, Hornsteins, who were Hasidim of the region um, Boyaner, Sadiger, uh, Husiatner, they they were a very, very prominent, a wealthy family. And in my opinion, and I'm not a Yiddish literary critic, but in my opinion, um, the um, protagonist family in the Mishpacha Mashbir by uh, the mister is based on the Hornstein family. I, I have no doubt about it. Uh, and so the, 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 the Maharashtra's daughter, and the Maharaj was no longer alive, married Moshe Cohen, Hornstein. And obviously that was a Shidduch based on money.
0: Wait a second, wait a second. I just wanna acknowledge that I learned something about Mishpocha mashber right here. I never, I I never, never. knew that uh, the Majbe is is based on Hornstein family.
1: That's my opinion. That's huh. that's my opinion. I think if you look at,
0: but do you think yeah, do you think Dinesh himself had some contacts with them? So he, he
1: said. Well, Dinesh of... apparently came from a family of Brussels, or Hasidim. Yes. Uh, so he must have known something about Hasidic life in Berlin or the Ukraine. And the Hornstings were very prominent. They did. They liked since they had a lot of money. Uh, they did shiduchim with um, the Freedmen, the Regener family. Uh, the 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 shidduch with Schneerson wasn't the only uh, shidduch they did with Hasidic leaders. They they did more. Uh, they did several shidduchim with uh, with the Regnier family, the Friedmans. So um, so clearly the Rashab married his sister to a man of means, and we know that for other reasons because there's a story that the Rashab spent uh, a year in. Uh, not in isolation, but in semi-isolation in uh, near Smolensk, uh, teaching his brother, his new brother-in-law, Fasidus, and teaching him uh, Torah. Because apparently he was just a young man, I mean, from a religious family, but who wasn't particularly uh, known as a scholar. But, uh, you know,
0: and so he you to- you to- spent... You're talking about Mendel, right?
1: I'm talking about Moshe Cohen-Hornstein. Moshe Cohen Hornstein was the who married the
0: daughter of the uh, marash. Ah, okay. Who's the father of Mendel? Right, who's the father Mendel? So and, and Mendel married Sonia, the youngest right. daughter of Rayaatz. Yeah. So, and they—they so they, 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 this is a family that perished in uh, Treblinka. Right. So
1: Moshe Cohen uh,
0: fathered a, a large family. Uh,
1: I don't exactly remember how many sons and daughters, but many. Now, except for. Uh, his son Mendel, none of them were religious. I mean, and Moshe Cohen, although uh, Rabbi Gurari, Sean Beer told me that Moshe Cohen was pro forma part of the so-called cabinet of the Rayats because he was closer to the Rayats' age than he was to the Rashab's age. he was part of the covenant, but uh, Barry Barry Garari didn't, uh, he said he was a fine man, but he didn't feel much for his leadership or um organizational talents. And Moshe Cohen made a living out of, of being the administrator of a secular Jewish uh, orphanage. I think that was sponsored by one of these large Jewish organizations. Was it Wiesel, uh WIZO, or was it some other organization? I've never been really uh, interested in these second organizations, although they did a tremendous amount of uh, welfare uh, uh, for Polish Jewry. I mean, there's no, uh, you know, it's just that I haven't been interested in them. And Moshe Cohen's so family, his children, the next generation were not religious, except for Mendel. And it's, you know, to a certain extent, I have to believe that Mendel uh, assumed a religious lifestyle because he was to marry the daughter of the Riyadh. So he assumed the religious lifestyle. Uh, I don't in any way saying that he pretended, I'm just saying he assumed he became a religious person because he was to marry the daughter of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Um, next was another son-in-law, Meshalay Ginsberg, uh, who we, we, we a number of years ago, carbad Magazine came up with a picture of him and he really looks like a, you know, what uh, they would call a farzajtka chosid, chosid of
0: the You're talking about the son-in-law of Maharaj.
1: Right. This is the second son-in-law. It was Moshe Alevi Ginsberg. Mm-hmm. And um, he clearly was a Hasidic Jew, although he too was not, I've never seen him involved in any of the activities of his nephew or his or his um, brother in law. Uh, but his children, and I, it seems from reading Yiddish and the Shamas by Litvin, and this is confirmed in several books about Jews in uh, Soviet Russia or Jews during this, the, the revolution, that his children all became, uh, none of them were religious. They were all anarchists or communists, as you say communists, socialists, Bundists, whatever. They all became Marxists, just and so there. So now you examine the family of the marash She had five children. Very few of his um, grandchildren, Marash's grandchildren, um, remained religious. I mean, uh, as a matter of fact, the, the overwhelming majority of them did not. And then the you know the next generation is gone because. Um, I can't believe that any of Ginsburg's children uh, um, returned to Judaism. No evidence of that. I can imagine that the Lubavitch yellow journalism would just be full of stories that uh, the 15th generation of the Schneersons returned to Judaism by Rabbi, uh, you know, who knows, some uh, Shlia you know, gave him a bottle of uh, good American vodka and he became religious. I mean. Uh, that would be all over the place. So that didn't happen. The horn says by the way, you know, uh, I tracked down the family. Some of them did survive. They did survive in Israel. Um, and there still are descendants of the Maharash in Israel. Uh, so they're not candidates to be the Lubavitch Rebbe, even though maybe the Lubavitch Rebbe, in, uh, excuse me for saying this because he accused Barry of wanting the Bankel, of wanting to become Rebbe, Clearly, the Rebbe had uh, completely uh, mis- misunderstood what Barry Garari was all about because Barry Garari had no desire to become a Rebbe. Oh, not desire isn't even the word. He had no, uh, this was not, you know, it's like the, Barry Garari wanted to become a bartender. Uh, he had no interest in being a Rebbe. So, so, But maybe some Lubavitchers would have been in their paranoia to think that the Hornsteins wanted to become rabbi because they were actually the sons of the Marash, but they live in a kibbutz. I don't know. A few, unfortunately, of their children have, as, as is the, unfortunately, the want in Israel, have been killed in various wars in Israel. But there, there are family members of this direct descendants of, of, uh, of, of Meshach Payne Hornstein. And um, as a matter of fact, they uh, gave me a um, uh, typewritten pamphlet that they published about the family history, from which I gleamed quite a bit. And in there, there's something that the Lubavitchers have never published. Maybe they don't even have it. There is a picture of, of uh, Moshe Cohen, Hornstein's father, who is the Mahutin of the Marash. And he's a Jew with a patriarchal beard, and I've always thought of giving yeah, it. to Yeah, I, I have
0: that picture. I'm going to publish it with this. Uh,
1: yeah, with I've this always podcast. thought. Of it. Okay, good. I've thought of giving it to Lubavitchers, and then I said to myself, why? Why should I give it to them? Uh, it, uh, they're gonna. They're just gonna label it that uh, some shliach in Russia came up with it. Uh, Rabbi uh, uh, Mendel Kakanov, uh who was a shliach in uh, who knows where, he came up with the picture. Well, let's. Well,
0: let, let's let's still try to understand how come all and family disappeared.
1: Right, right. So, so I, I just want to finish with this. So um, then, you know, so we're 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 not going to talk about. Uh, so then we're going to go to the only family member, essentially, that I have any evidence of the of the uh, Maharashas grandchildren that remain religious was Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak, who became the Rayats. Litvin in Yiddish Shamus writes some fairly negative things about the Rayats. What do I know? You know, I mean, some of the things he's clearly wrong because he says the Rayats has absolutely no organizational talent, et cetera, et cetera, which is, a you know, totally wrong. I mean, I'm not out here to tell lies. I mean, this thing Litvin is wrong, that the Rayats clearly proved that if he had something, it was organizational talent. Um, so the Riyats now is the only one who's religious of the mainline Schneersens. And so, um, besides, so he had three daughters. Now, the oldest, Fana, who's been uh, written out of Chabad history, uh, clearly was religious. And the two younger daughters, who knows? I mean, uh, Sonia clearly refused to marry a Tomin. And uh, from Gutten, Doctor Gutten, Doctor Gutten's memoirs, we see that Sonia was a live wire. Gutten, Gutten, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Goten, and you know, he arrived in Israel later in the 70s, right? Correct. Yeah. So his memoirs are fascinating, and I was told by uh, a Lubavitcher who is no longer with us. Uh, uh, who was a great historian. I think his name was R- Mr. Kazminski. K- uh, I don't re- I can't remember his name. Uh, you know, he He knew a tremendous amount about Chabad history, and he alerted me to this book. And Kazminski also told me that Rabbi Zalman Shimon Dworkin told him that everything that writes is MS la mito, is 100% true. So I rest my case. So Gordon writes um, that uh, Sonia was a live wire, and she liked to uh, fool around. I don't mean in a uh, sexual manner, but fool around. Well, flirt is what I mean with the Bokharim and Tom Ketumim. And, uh, and many of the Bahram and Tom Ketimim had dreams of marrying her because, well, why not? They figured they would marry her and they would join the royal family. And he gives some names of a few Bokhrim who really wanted to marry her. But as Button writes, they didn't have any money and didn't have any yichus. And that was eaten. none of those you couldn't get into the royal family. Because for that matter, Reb Chaim Lieberman, I believe, also was interested in marrying into the royal family. But he too didn't have any money. He came from a simple Jewish family, uh, albeit Hasidic. Uh, but, you know, didn't have any yichas and didn't have any money. So he was not eligible either. Um, so so Sonia clearly had left the path. Um, you know, I guess the Rayats begged her and this, and he found her a uh, a chosan who was modern, but who had the yichas. He was, you know, a son of Moshe He So he was a first cousin of his, of the Rayatses. So it's fine. And, you know, apparently he, oh, agreed. He, was,
0: he was a grandson of Maharaj,
1: Right. So he agreed to, uh, according to Barry Gurari, he agreed to uh, study a rabbinical course of studies prior to the marriage. And he agreed to grow a beard. And from the pictures, we see that he had a beard. And we see that, you know,
0: there's a picture of Mendel with the beard.
1: I'm, yeah absolutely there's a family I, picture. i've seen
0: only two pictures and none of them are beards
1: yeah the, the family picture he's standing in back of his mother yes. and father and he's got a beard a scraggly beard and he's I don't but he's dressed know.
0: are you sure he's dressed that that picture yeah. where which i'll publish where he stands behind his family he he he's wearing a cap he is right. wearing he's his trademark be- glasses but he doesn't have right.
1: a beard he does have a beard take a look in uh in the All website, right. in the website of Friedman and Heilman, he definitely has a beard. In right. um, the website of Friedman and Heilman, the picture is reproduced, and he has a beard. Um, you know, w- whatever it doesn't matter. He's wearing a cap similar to what I would wear, and he's he's dressed like a university student rather than a uh, chassid. But uh, you know, I wouldn't make much about that because he never claimed to be a chassid. Um, so, you know, it seems that by the time we hit the eighth generation, the seventh generation, um, even in the main line, Schneersons, the family of the L.C., religion was getting weak. <laughs> it was getting weak. You needed a very strong Geiger counter to, to uh, clearly, um, the middle daughter refused to marry a Toman because here we have a yeshiva in uh, Lubavitch with hundreds of religious young men, hundreds literally, and she had her choice of anyone and she refused to marry anyone because she refused to marry, if I can use the word, it's not a dirty word, she refused to marry a chnok, you know, which the Bochrim and Toncheitimim by and large were, they were chnokis. They, they probably didn't know who the czar was, with the name of the czar, they probably didn't know uh, what uh, what the capital of uh, what the largest city in America was? They're they, were they were, you know I'm not saying they were bad people. Has-Rishon, you know, God forbid, but uh, they, they they were not worldly people. And so she didn't marry them. She wanted she wanted a guy who was dressed Western uh, and a guy who had secular knowledge. And that man came along, Menachem Mendel Schneerson, and to boot he was a Schneerson. And to boot, he was a rabbinic scholar. So how oh, great! Well, the Raya'ts couldn't have wished for anything more, because otherwise his son-in-law would have been a probably a carbon copy of Hornstein. Uh, you know, another uh, distant cousin who, uh, you know, had some uh, feeling for Judaism, but uh, was not exactly a chassid. And again, I forgot who told me this, but I, I was told by chassid that in the 1930s, as the Raya'ts, was felled by his uh, neurological illness. Uh, discussion among some of the Bahram and the was was, uh, what's gonna happen after the rayats. And so apparently this Gurari had gone off to Israel to uh, see uh, what, uh, if he could create a tobacco. Yeah, by Gurari function. you
0: mean Rashad.
1: Rashad, yeah. So he had gone off to Israel, and at that point they thought, people assumed that he was, you know, he was going to seek his future in business. Uh, the Ramash, or Zalman Schneerson, was uh, not even viewed as a candidate. He was just a university student in uh, in um, Paris. Hornstein was out of the question. So they uh, decided that uh, the future of this movement is Rabbi Zalman Schneerson. He's a chosid and uh, he's a good organizer. And he would be the future of the movement. Now, you know what the young people are talking isn't dispositive. It doesn't mean that that's uh, you know means anything. But it's an interesting indication of uh, now. I have some, I'm going to stop, but I want to just say one thing that you know that today, and this is then we can go today and let's say today, I don't want to say today is 2022, although it is, but let's say today is 19, you know, 1970 and onwards. Um, well, let's just say that there are three or four religious Schneerson families left in the whole world. Uh, one is the Chibiner Rosh Hashira Shiman Shimon Schneerson, who was not Lubavitcher, uh, before the people in the uh, in the Crown in pizza stores, I'm sure they're not listening to this because they're looking at the girls out in the street. But before everyone gets upset at me, uh, the that Rosh Hashanah was a Rosh Shiva in Karachabad for a while. But that wasn't unusual. Reb I mean, Shlomo Ne'ev Brazovsky, the later son of law was Rosh in Lubavitch uh Rabbi Mian and Gerakov Russian Uh hired hired hands to be Russian because the people who the natural people who would have been Rush were left in the Soviet Union and died there or were killed there. So the people who were hired were, you know, people outside of the Anyway, Borov Shimon was not a Lubavitcher, and Borov Shimon represents an interesting phenomenon, if I can call him Reb Borov Shimon. Reb Borov Shimon was a descendant of part of the Schneerson family, Reb Yosef Yitzhak of Avich, who uh, became non-Chabad. They were not Chabad. Reb Yosef Yitzhak of Avich was not a Chabad Rebbe, and... um, his descendants, at least many of them, moved to, some of them moved to Poland, Poland proper, in this case, Krakow, and um, Shimon was born in Krakow, and his father, from what I understand, talking to Belzer Chassidim, his father was Belzer Chassid. his father was not a great rabbinic scholar, he was uh, what they call in Yiddish an Erl chayid. he was a fine Jew, uh, you know, a very religious, devout Jew in Krakow, Uh, I forgot his name, Uh, and obviously, because uh, the Roshav, and this is genealogy, it's a little bit convoluted. I'm not asking anyone to, uh, as they say in Yiddish, halt and cope with me to keep track. But um, since, um, what's his name? Since the uh, Roshav married a daughter of Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak, of Avraj, um, Rabor Shimon was a pretty close relative to Musya. It, to Musia, the Mrs. Schneerson, Mrs. Lubavitch, uh, he was probably a second cousin to Musia. And um, so, and Reb has sons. He has at least two sons. One is the head of the Yeshiva in Israel. I believe one of his sons lives in Borah Park, Schneer's Schneerson, which confused me when I was reading the book and I was wondering, who is this Rav Golan of Schneer's Schneerson? And then I, I realized that this is a uh, descendants of the Chabiner. So the Chabad are not Chabad uh make no pretensions about it, they're not. Um, the next clan that still remains religious is the clan of Zalman Schneerson of Paris, Rabbi Zalman Schneerson of Paris. Uh, so Zalman Schneerson had let, me, let son. Me, let,
0: me, let, me, let me make a, a little uh, a link here. You know, what What I publish, uh, the memories of Margolia Schneerson, uh, And what she writes there about her uncle, who was Mendel del del Repker. And she describes um, her own family and her own brothers and herself. And they clearly not religious at this point. And they're not religious at this point. It's evident that this started much earlier. It wasn't forced by the Russian revolution. Assimilation. uh, Started much early in the Schneerson family. And the point I'm trying to make is that because uh, Schneerson family was rich, they have they have befriended aristocrats and they had uh, exposure to masculine and general culture to a larger degree than than simple Jews. They were That's more exposed, they were more exposed, and the rate of assimilation was a higher. Uh, then a rate assimilation of uh, regular Jews. So now, well, I'm sure. so now, if you look at, at the way Mar- if you uh, if you look at the way describes her family, out of her whole brothers and cousins, there is one strange one, Azalman, who not only stayed religious, perhaps went to Tonghit Mimi, but he also succeeded in escaping Russia. And that is the only one sort of remaining branch of the entire family that still stayed religious. And to this day, the only remaining branch of Schneerson's in the United States of America. Now- In the world, in the world. Oh, okay, even better, in the world. Now, of course, there are other Schneerson's who are still alive or descendant of Schneers, but we're talking about people who are still within the religious camp. And that that is one person. And now you look at uh, many Schneerson family, even the family of the rabbi himself, there would be one oddball who is religious, like Ramash, let's say, right? And, and you, he would have a, a brother who is sympathizing with communism, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that so out of all those Schneerson families, there, there would be some few families that still have an oddball son who remains religious. And those are literally, we can count on one hand, if, if not a half of one hand. So right, now go, right. go, go, go ahead, tell about Zalman.
1: Yeah, no, I was just gonna say about Zalman in relation to what you're saying. I, I just don't remember who Zalman Schneerson's uh, father was. He was a rabbi someplace in Russia. And uh, so Zalman, Zalman Schneerson- I
0: think, I think his father is none other than Mendel repker
1: Okay, fine, I, I just don't remember. Um, and um, so Zalman wanted to go study in Tungretimun as a young teenager. His that? father, his father. I'll, I'll, have wanted, I'll have
0: to check that. i
1: have to check that. Okay. Yeah. No, no just, but wait a, a second. In an, in an interview in Kfar Chabad magazine, and in the old days before when the rebel was still alive, um, Kfar Chabad magazine had many interviews with older Lubavitcher Sidim, and they were fascinating. You know, some truth came out of them. Uh, they weren't really heavily censored. Uh, so in, in that interview with an old, was it Doe Beer Ripken? I don't know these people. I forgot. I I'm, I haven't been interested in Lubavitch uh, in many years. So um,
0: so I don't remember a lot of these things. But for real now. Clayton, for real. You haven't been interested in Lubavitch in many No, years. no I'm don't interested. Make you know, don't make me laugh. Though.
1: Well, you know, anyway. So... so so this chassid who was interviewed in Kar uh, about his days in Ton Chetimimim said that, well, Zalman Schneerson came to learn and Zalman wanted to study in Ton but his father, who was a rov, wanted him to go to gymnasium. He wanted him to go to gymnasium. He didn't want him to become a rov. So you see how deep this, this a culture Culturation and assimil- assimilatory process was that even the, the older generation who was still religious did, did not want their children to remain religious and be handicapped financially and professionally by being religious. It's just like in the United States. Uh, there was an important Rebbe in New England, uh, you know, in your hometown, uh, uh, you know, and... Um, and uh, not the Boston Rebbe, I, I, I'm going to say this right out loud. It wasn't the Boston Rebbe, uh, or Pinchas David, or his son, or Blavius, uh another Rebbe who said that when, uh, with me, it's all over. With me, the mm-hmm. Hasidus is finished, and he wasn't the only Reb in America who said that because they wanted I think it their was taller, children.
0: Right? I think it was no, I'm not going to say. Okay, the, uh, in, I, I can say it. All right, no.
1: You can say you know what. I'm not going to confirm or okay. or deny. Um, and there's no, because there's, they no, more, there's be, no
0: more Towner in Boston, so you, nobody.
1: Has no, to I know that. Brain. And and so everyone, both in Russia, and in the United States, there were. Religious people, rabbis, rabbis, who were looking out for their children's professional and uh, financial uh, future, and they all saw that being religious was a major handicap. So uh, there were such people in the United States, uh, you know, and there were such people in in Russia. And the story of Donald and I have to believe because it's been told by a Lubavitcher Chassid, and so getting back now to Zalman. So Zalman is in, in, in Russia. So his son, Beer, who died a few years ago, remained religious. He was a sheikh. Uh, and uh, I have to say in parentheses right now, in parentheses, I have to say that this huge Lubavitch movement, even in the 50s and 60s, it wasn't what it is today, but it wasn't small. They had various yeshivas, day schools uh, in America, Australia, France could not find a job. For Zalman Schneerson, he he had to sort of go back to France and work in a slaughterhouse in upstate New York. They couldn't find a job for Sean Bear Schneerson, uh, who had to work for the United States Postal Service and later became a shaykhin, uh, which is amazing. It's, it's just amazing that here's this movement that has many many positions, publishing house, blah 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 blah, blah and they can't find a job for the for the only uh, surviving male. Members of the family of, of the royal family.
0: Uh, yeah, the, you know, let's let's, let's say it again. Let's say it again, so it sinks in. The only surviving <laughs> Froom person, out of the entire yeah. male, out of the entire Schneerson family, Ben Acher Ben of Tzemach Tzedek, right, is being is being sort of not welcomed in Chabad. Well, the Rebbe didn't like them. Let me be frank and honest about them. The
1: Rebbe did not like Zalman Schneerson. Uh, I can't tell you why. Yeah, they Uh, they,
0: they had memories from Paris.
1: Well, Zalman Schachter was in Paris, too, a little. And Zalman Schachter doesn't relate in his, his, at least the memoirs I read. He may have written more memoirs, but in the few uh, skimpy memoirs that I read by Schachter, um, he mentions Zalman and he also mentions the Rebbe. It didn't seem that there was any hostility between them there, although Zalman Schefter was an outsider, and he may not have known. And after the war, the Rebbe seemed to spend time, when he went to um, meet his mother. Who was, who was, who was
0: Zalman Schefter?
1: Zalman Schefter was a, um, a young man of of Galicianer background who, in Vienna, Whose father moved to Vienna after World War One, and at some point he was a refugee after the Anschluss in uh, France, and he and he uh, and he joined Lubavitch there, or at least wanted to join Lubavitch through uh, Zalman Schneerson. Zalman Schneerson, uh you know, was his teacher, and Zalman Schneerson introduced him to Menachem Schneerson. And later on, uh, Schachter went to Belgium, and he arrived in America in '41, so, and he became a uh, a close disciple of the Rayats. And then he left Lubavitch altogether, you know, uh, the last 50 years of his life, he was, uh, he started uh, um, what we call, I guess, the Jewish revival movement. And uh, it was a very important oh, figure. That one. Okay. And, All right. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, I don't know.
0: That's, that's
1: right Zalman Okay. Right, that one. Zalman Shalomi. And, yeah. um I don't know why the Rabbi didn't like Zalma Schneerson, I have no idea, but clearly did not, because he even had a sikh at one point where he blasted Zalma Schneerson for using the title Grand Rabin, which many rabbis in France use. It's a common title, you know, the Chief Rabbi of Paris, the Chief Rabbi of France, the Chief Rabbi of Marseille, Grand Rabin, and Zalma Schneerson apparently at least called himself that. And he was the rabbi of a group of Eastern European synagogues in Paris. So the rabbi Nachman Schneerson blasted him and said that the, uh, you know, the Schwer, you know, the the Nosyador didn't call himself Grand Rabbiin, but you call yourself Grand Rabbiin. Uh, you know, I don't know what was going on there. I think it may have been because Alman Schneerson in 1950 uh um was a candidate to become Lubavitcher Rebbe. He wanted to become Lubavitcher Rebbe, and apparently uh, there was talk. I don't know why anyone would pick him rather than Gurari or the Rebbe, but, you know, who knows? I wasn't there, but I heard this when I was in Qarqabab. Strangely enough, someone told me that uh, there was a third candidate, Salman But What, what, so what maybe,
0: year? is were in Qarqabab?
1: 71. Okay. So um, Zalna Schneerson, I don't know where he and the Rebbe, but clearly the Rebbe didn't care for him. Clearly, you know, he, he, very little, was he was rarely mentioned in Kfar Chabad magazine, which came out every week and talked about every, you know, many people, but not about Zalna Schneerson. Uh, after the Rebbe passed on, Zalna Schneerson was written about in Kfar Chabad. and um so Sholember Schneerson, who who's the son of Zaman, remained an Orthodox Jew. He he remained as part of cultural Chabad. He was definitely part of the culture of Chabad, you know, and uh, he didn't deny his Chabad background. But as far as a Rebbe goes, he became a Chassid of the Bavar Rebbe, uh, Rabbi Sholem Ahalvestan, and uh, the Baba Rebbe's late son-in-law, the Bukowska Rov, Rabbi Goldberger, personally told me when I asked him, uh, you know, I was friendly with uh, Ravi Goldberger, and he was a Russian Kolo, He personally told me that the uh, Sholom Bear is a regular at his father's uh, tishin or malamalkas. Uh, that I don't remember exactly. Did he say tish? Did he say malamalka? I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Um, but
0: uh, so Sholom Bear sort of
1: said goodbye to his uh, second or third cousin, uh, the ramash. And, uh, so let, a... let,
0: let, let me ask you something. Let's uh, let's just uh, go through the uh, through the children of uh, Reb Zalman. And, and so Reb Zalman including Zalman sons and daughters, daughters, sons and
1: daughters. So Reb Zalman Schneerson had two had two children. He had a son, Shlomo, who remained religious, and he had a, a daughter who married Sholma Karbach's twin, Eliechayim Karbach, and Eliechayim was a, a, apparently a choser by the Praydikar Rebbe, so they say, and. Uh, but Eliechim as well left Lubavitch to join Baba. Uh, he wrote a beautiful uh, uh, little just...
0: Let's Okay, so that is the first generation: uh, two sons and a oh. daughter, right? right? What about the so, What so, about you? What about Yehudi that that married into Butman family? Is she from the same family?
1: Well, well, wait, wait, wait a second. Wait. Well, let, let's just finish this. So we have shalom and we have his sister. They were both religious. the the two The two children of, of Zalman Nairison were both religious, even though they apparently both uh, were not really Chabad, and uh, or or certainly had uh, you know what, what do they call it a uh, synchronistic. Um, relationship with Chabad. And uh, their children are all Lubavitchers. That, that You know, their children are all Lubavitchers. Uh, you know, I guess, the, you know, the bad blood doesn't last three generations. Okay. Um, now, let's go sideways. Uh, Zalman had a sister, and she married um, um, uh, what's his name, is Zalman Butman, who was an interesting layman, a, a very, uh, I, I liked him very much. I met him a few times. He's a really nice man. He's talking really about large...
0: Yehudis, right?
1: I don't know what her name was. Okay. I mean, uh, she she was Zalman's, uh, Zalman's sister. And so she married um, um, Butman, Zalman so, Butman. So, so Zalman? Let
0: me, let, hold on a second. So Zalman wasn't the only one who escaped from Russia, also his sister.
1: Well, his sister left Russia after the war with the echelons, with the uh, illegal. Oh, okay. Uh,
0: okay.
1: Yeah. So, 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 she married Butman, and Butman's children are obviously all religious. And among Butman's child, uh, Butman's son-in-laws was Yale Khan. So uh, that that also. And and Butman had another sister, not Butman. Swerdlov, this is uh,
0: Swerdlov, also Svedlov family.
1: Sverdlov was what it was. Swerdlov, she's uh,
0: the wife of Svedlov is right, uh a, Khan's sister.
1: Right the okay, sister so of I'm...
0: shmuel Bootman.
1: Right, that's right. I mean he lived uh you know I, I mean I remember him
0: and um
1: and and um okay so um so Zalman had another sister and she married Rosh Shiva Tomkhaitiman Yehuda Ever and they were killed in the Holocaust with their children. So my point being that all these religious people, either their name is Schneerson or they married into the Schneerson's or their female descendants are all part of one clan, one family. That's it. And, and the only other Schneerson's that I, that I can only think, uh, you know, as I mentioned, Chabiner, the only other Schneerson's I could think was religious was the Rayatsa's brother-in-law, Sion Schneerson, who must have died in 72 or 73, maybe a year later. And I remember when he visited 770, and the Rebbe did give him quite a bit of honor. After all, he was uh, his uncle by marriage. But he had no children either, Ben Sion. And I don't know where he lived in the 50s. Supposedly, he lived in Hungary. I don't know how he got to Hungary, but stranger things have uh, been known to happen uh you know, uh, how, he, how he got from Kishinev to Hungary is beyond me. But, uh, you know, who knows? Um, you know, in Israel, there are people who call themselves Schneerson. And by and large, there are people whose real name is Slonin, who who are descendants of the second Rebbe who changed their name to Schneerson. Um, there may be some descendants, as I said when I started, of the uh, first of the uh, Ramosha who, uh, you know, did what, as the base Rebbe says, did what he did. Uh, I'll use that same terminology. He did what he did, and there may be some descendants of his. I don't know if they're religious or not. I believe there was a Jew in Jerusalem who was a very Cheshua Lubavitcher, Shmuel, Schneerson, Shmuel Benachem Schneerson. I don't believe his real name was Schneerson. Uh, he was a descendant of the uh, of the uh, Alta Rebbe, but I don't believe he was a Benachem um, Ben. But, uh, you know, and so people out there are going to tell me, well, you know, there's all the descendants of uh, Menucha Rochel, the daughter of the, uh, the uh, Mittler Rebbe. Yeah, I'm not going to say they're not. They're all these descendants of Menucha Rochel. By the way, there are a lot of descendants of Menucha Rochel who are completely non-religious. And there are a lot of descendants of Menucha Rochel who are observant but not Lubavitchers. For example, Dr. Joseph Berg, the minister of Interior and chair leader of the Mizrahi. It, even though the Rebbe disted, the Rebbe distant many times, because he didn't want to follow the Rebbe's orders about Miyu Yehudi, even though I can't resist but saying it, that the Rebbe himself dropped Miyu Yehudi like hotcake hot cake when uh, Shem Tov and Krinsky told him that uh, the reform and secular Jews in America wouldn't support Lubavitch financially. Suddenly Miyu Yehudi disappeared from the Lubavitch agenda. Suddenly, I went to hundreds of arrangements where the Rebbe would scream about Miyu Yehudi that the, the fact that Israel is not passing the law that says the Jew is only someone called Alocha, is preventing the coming of Mashiach. He said that a million times. That's the main preventive for the arrival of Mashiach. But when Krinsky and Shemto and other Lubavitcher money people came in and told the Rebbe, you know, we, we can't continue with this because, uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, Mrs. Karadin, Shoshana Karadin, who Gershon Jacobson said, Shem uh, Shemayim Shigura Al Right, Shem Shemayim Shigura Al Piva. Give me another one, Reb Gershon, you know, Shagur al Piyah, right? You know, I can't resist the getting angry at this sort of total nonsense. Um, so the Rebbe dropped me, himself, so that's why Mashiach didn't come. I mean, if the Rebbe, when this final Sicha, when the Rebbe said that uh, I've done everything I've done, but uh, you know, uh, there's no one to talk to, you guys uh, don't really care, well, you know, he should have continued as me, Yehudi. Maybe Mashiach would come you know but uh, he didn't but uh, you know um, there was there was a lot of hot air coming out of Lubavitch, i got to tell you uh which you okay. know, everyone knows
0: who is that woman you mentioned
1: shoshana cardin was the head of the uh federation whatever it's called the uh what is it called the um jewish the federation in america yeah yeah in america she was she was not the uh administrative head. she was the elected head the, uh, at that time and of uh-huh. course, she was friendly to Lubavitch. Why not? Because like, so, so I you, always. So you're
0: saying you're saying she came to Lubavitch and and told them to cool it with me miu me, yehudi. I'm,
1: saying, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that the word came out from the Reform Jewish movement, from conservative, Shemtov, and the money people in Lubavitch. You know, I, I don't know these people. Thank God. You know, uh, you, you know who they are. Cuny and Harrison. Uh, you know the what the was like to call the Rosh Medina, the people who run Lubavitch in various states. They all got the message that if Lubavitch continues with the concept of outlawing reform and conservative Judaism in in Israel, they will not have any financial support in the United States from members of this movement. And there was a lot of talk about that in the United States in those days, in those movements, and among secular Jews. So the Rebbe dropped it, and the Rebbe dropped Neo Yehudi at exactly the point when he had enough people in the Knesset to support the Yehudi, because this was after a major Chabad victory, where Chabad joined with our Israel, and I believe elected six or seven people. Shas, in their first run to the Knesset, elected something like 10 people. And Degelotora, which is the uh, Litvisha, so-called Litvisha, because they're a Litvisha like I'm Hungarian, uh, Shlomo Lawrence is a literature. I mean, uh, you know, whatever the other leaders of the movement there, none of them are literature. Um, um, you know, tora had two or three people. They ever had enough support there to push Meir Yehudi through. But he knew, he knew that, uh, wait a second, if he did this, he would lose major backing in the United States. And this happened later on when Gutnick supported um, Bibi. To the um as prime minister i don't remember which election this was where krinsky came out and denied in the new york times denied that lubovitch was supporting bibi um and even though um what's his name um gutnick was the head of bb's uh, election staff he had his own uh, staff and gutnick was pouring in millions of, uh, of dollars into bb because why because most american jews are liberal and they they did dis- dislike Bibi Netanyahu, and Krinsky was smart enough to know that Lubavitch couldn't be identified with a super right wing group in Israel. So he denied that Lubavitch was supporting uh, Bibi.
0: Well, so, you know so we can. Op-
1: let's pardon.
0: You know, you know, Israeli politics. I understand what you're saying, but Israeli politics is a black hole from which we I know, never know. never come out. I just want to. I, I just want to to go back and concentrate and destruction of the royal court of Schneerson.
1: Okay so so the end of the the end of what I'm saying is that by 2000 or even later today the only Schneerson family that remains religious are the relatives vertical and horizontal of Zalman Schneerson and the Chabina Rosh Hashiva and you know the Chabina Rosh Hashiva is not a Lubavitcher they're Peleshe Yidin, they're Galzianer, they're not even Peleshe, Galzianer, and they speak and Yiddish, they don't study Chabad Hasidus, uh, his father-in-law was the greatest Hasidic rabbi after the war, I mean rabbi, not a rabbi, he was a possek, the Tshibina Rosh Doberish Weidenfeld, and, uh, you know, maybe if Rosh Shimon had stuck in Tonchitimimim as Rosh Yeshiva and not leave to his father-in-law as who knows, maybe by, uh by the late uh, by the late 1980s, he would have been the candidate to become next Lubavitcher Rebbe. You never can tell, but um, but he didn't. So let's not rewrite history. And so that's it. I don't, I'm not. I'm unaware of any other Schneerson families that are Hasidish religious in any way. There's a family I think on Long Island Schneerson. They spell their name. Uh, they're modern Orthodox. They may very well be descendants of the. Uh, of the uh, of the Alter Rebbe, I'm not sure, but um, some of the people who some of the rabbis here in New York, and I'm not going to mention names, who claim descent from the Alter Rebbe, I'm very um, skeptical. I'm very, so so very so, skeptical.
0: so so let let me just highlight something. When when our friend Rav Shmuel Butman makes this famous Melave Malkov of Tzitzoy essentially like a family gathering, right.
1: It's essentially people. family gathering.
0: I mean, I mean, there are, there are other people, you know, the people in Satmar, in Satmar Rebbe, who claim descendants from uh, right. from no, no. But we're talking the recent no, Schneersons, right? Yeah,
1: let me let me just explain who most of these people are. You know, most of, most of these people, the the um, the uh, Rebbe had um, a son-in-law, I believe, who was uh, a Torsky and. One of Twersky's son-in-laws or sons was a Mordechai Dov of who, once, who was a son-in-law uh, uh, of the Tzanzarov. Mordechai Dov of was a son-in-law of the Tzanzarov and Mordechai Dov what, uh, he called himself Torsky. I don't believe that was his real name. I think his real name was Urbach. But I don't claim to be an expert about these families, these um, Torsky, Ukrainian. And But he clearly was a, great, a grandson of the Mithil Rebbe, Re- 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 Mordechai Dov Hornstein. He was one of the greatest halachists of his time, no question about it. Uh, his children, because his children were Enochach of the uh, sons of Rob, his children married the greatest leaders of the regular Hasidic movement. So the Atzei Chaim, who is the Satmar Rebbe's brother, and the grandfather of today's Satmar Rebbe, was the son-in-law of the Ram Mordechai The The, the, the uh, Baba Rebbe's father, the Kedusha Sion, who was the father of Rebbe Shlema, he married a daughter of Ram Mordechai Dev. Ram had many children. All these people are either descendants of Reb Mordechai David Hornistaypol, or they are descendants of Reb Zmanuca Rochel in Israel. Very few of them are descendants of the Tzemach Tzedek, and I'm ready to say here that almost none of them, except for the Butman family and the Schneerson family, who I mentioned, the the, 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 the relatives of Zalman of Reb Zalman Schneerson, are descendants of the Tzemach Tzedek. Most of the people who show up in this thing are wearing stramla. And Beckett's and White Sox, and they're all descendants, mostly of Mordecai of Hornestypel or of the uh Yosef Yitzchok of Cherkas, you know the, the people who moved to Krakow and became non Babichers. It's fascinating that the people is show Rafa, is Raf up...
0: Kanetsky, who is also father, is from Hornostaypol. No, is he no, is he related to this
1: no, or not? No, no, no. His his father was a balaboss, in uh, a lay person in the city of Hornostaypol, but he's no. not he's not. But but it's fascinating that at this meeting of descendants of the Alter Rebbe, most of the people. Are not Lubavitcher Hasidim? <laughs> it's funny. Most of the people are what the Lubavitchers call palelsher Hasidim or Hasidim Chagas. It's it's isn't it an irony that uh, the people Lubavitchers knock at least in private. They knock them and laugh at them. You know, uh, palelsher uh, palelsher uh, uh, Chagas Hasid. They're the only ones of the descendants of the Alter Rebbe who are still religious. And I I. I I'll just add, I agree with you 100%. I I once was in conversation with one of the last important rabbis in Lithuania, um, who was also an amateur sociologist. I don't want to mention his name. I mentioned his name to you, but uh, if someone doesn't believe me, I'm happy to tell you who it was. Um, And I spoke to this Rov many times, and I asked him about the Kovne Rov, uh, the Devar of Mervavram Kahana Shapiro, who uh, was one of the greatest rabbis, you know, I don't know, great rabbis. I mean, Lubavitcher's only greatest rabbi was their rabbi, but so I don't want to sound like a Lubavitcher. I mean, Mervavram Kahaneh was one of the great Talmudists of, of, uh, of the 20th century. Um, he was and Mervavram uh, Kahaneh Shapiro uh, was in uh, Switzerland when the war broke out in 1941, I believe, because he had cancer. And he went back to Kovna to stay with his community, unlike, um, you know, unnamed people we won't talk about who, uh, you know, got, got on the first boat out of their communities. You know, usually you would think the captain is the last person off the ship. Unfortunately, unfortunately, and I say unfortunately, one, one has to cry about this. There were some instances in, in World War II where the, where the captain was the first person. In the lifeboat and you know i will say this in 1964 there were still over a hundred thousand jews in romania over a hundred thousand jews in romania there were five rabbis why the rabbis were the first people to leave you know i understand why they left they had to take care of their children they wanted to send their children to yeshivas but unfortunately you know it's a strange phenomenon. how do we have leadership if if the rabbis are the first people to leave. And when I, you know, it, it, it's unbelievable.
0: Well, as I, as, I, as I mentioned to you, fortunately or unfortunately, the biggest Hasidists today who still survive, all have one thing in common. The rabbis uh, run out of, uh, you know,
1: yeah.
0: territory. Chabad, Ger, Belz. Yeah,
1: I'm not gonna, you know, Delabor the point, but uh, that's why I'm, you know, sometimes upset when certain um, certain people attack the older generation of Soviet rabbis. I mean, uh, would they have liked Rabbi Levin or Rabbi Schleifer to have left Russia and leave Moscow without any room? Would they have liked um, other Rabbanian, Rabbi Lubanov in Leningrad, to have uh, left Russia and leave Leningrad without a role. I mean, uh, you know, um, it's easy for people, uh, you know, the peanut gallery to do what they're doing. But uh, for example, I mean, it's sad that the Soviet Union never had a rabbi of the caliber of the chief rabbi of Romania, Dr. David Moshe Rosen, Moses Rosen. Rosen refused to leave. Rosen, uh, you know, and he was a diplomat, he was an organizer. And he, 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 you know, and the fact today there are very few Jews left in Romania, but all the Romanian Jews, 95% of them, went to Israel. They didn't go to Argentina. They didn't go to France. They didn't go to Germany. They went to Israel because Rosen insisted on it, and Rosen had his very close relationships with the uh, communist regime, and you know he he provided tremendous leadership. Uh, and in and, and the Soviet Union, unfortunately, I'm, I'm, I'm now becoming the peanut gallery. I'm not throwing any peanuts at any rabbis in Russia. I'm just saying the, the way God planned it, in Russia we didn't have that sort of r- r- leadership of a of a modern rabbi who could speak the language of leader, of, of of government and reality, we didn't have such a rabbi. And, and you know, okay, that's the way Hashem um, wanted it, and I'm not just second guessing anyone.
0: But um,
1: what was let, I let me let me, just,
0: let me just say a few words, because I keep thinking about it. Out of all hundreds and hundreds of Schneerson mishpachas, Schneerson families, and you know, at some point, there was a, a sort of a conversation that maybe, because this family had a tendency of cousin marriage, they they develop. Oh. Such, they, uh, let's say maybe it's a, they develop such a it's genetic. Load.
1: I, I I happen to live in a city with a major university and a major major medical center, and over the years I've uh, had relationships with people. Don't ask me why and how, and I asked a very competent geneticist at this major university, and he laughed and said that um, the worst that could happen. Over several generations of cousin intermarriage is deafness or blindness, uh, but not sterility. So,
0: uh... whatever. Well, no, w- w- let's 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 put it aside. For whatever reason, out of this family of tens, uh, hundreds, maybe of families, descendants of Walter Ebbett, there's only one family left today in the United States of America that is a true Schneerson and they remain religious, right? right. There. right. Okay. There's one family, no. one, one person, Zalman Schneerson that for some uh, some uh, uh, fateful decision or fateful no. role uh, escaped Russia and remained religious, that one person is the only no. remaining Schneerson in the world, religious. No right no i, I oh, whose name is it's fascinating Harris. it's just fascinating it's like it it's, it's not I to mean, be believed I to and and I, and, I, and I i'm an old I'm, i was i'd like to conclude this is saying that despite the common perception that this might be a consequences of gulag or consequences no. for lacoste it is primarily consequence of assimilation within schneerson family that's been going mm-hmm. on for more than a century well
1: I, I was just going to say about the the rabbi i spoke to about the, the devar of rome the Kovna of khanashpira and i asked him why rabbi khanashpira's children uh one of them was Chaim nachman who was a uh, professor of hebrew literature in Kovna university believe it or not um who was a nationalist jew but not necessarily a religious jew and he had a few children who were doctors dentists i don't know you know and i asked uh, this Rov, who was a close disciple of why the Kovnarov children became non-religious. And he said, listen, in the smaller towns in Lithuania and white Russia, many more Jews remained religious than the big cities. The big cities had many wealthy Jews and they had a strong Haskola movement with schools and universities and lectures and libraries. And the Kovno-Rov, he said, was officially the head of the of Lithuania. He was basically the de facto chief rabbi of Lithuania. And the government recognized him almost as such. And he dealt with all sorts of people. And And his house was a meeting place for Maskelium, for m- Mizrahi, for modern people. For, and his children were infected by this. And this is what happened to the Schneerson's. The Schneersons were not poor people and they dealt with rich people and they dealt with with communal leaders. Even the Rashab attended rabbinical conferences. And who was at the many of these rabbinical conferences? Besides uh, the rabbinic and other important rabbonim, there were many masculine in there too. Yeah, but like, it, they-
0: you forget about rabbinical council, I mean, if, if, if what Maya Katz writes is correct, that the Rashab went to went to psychoanalysis with Stekel in Vienna. I mean, can you imagine a little Hungarian rebbe going for psychoanalysis? I don't know if he went. If he didn't, but let's let's say what Maya Katz writes Maya, is correct. Actually, I mean, actually, here, here, actually, here here you go.
1: Actually, just for the record, um, what's her name? Uh,
0: Maya Katz.
1: Maya Katz is a friend of mine. All right. Uh, I I was the person who. Put her on the lead, except I didn't have the insight. I told her what was written in a book by Block, um, who is a famous forger, is um, uh, a Hasidic Jew who wrote a lot of stuff in German and in Hebrew. After the war, he became a forger and forged all sorts of letters by famous rabbis against Zionism and against Chibas Zion, the love of Zion, um, but. In his book, which is a collection of rabbinic idioms, which I love, by the way, it's a fascinating book. It's full of sexual imagery, which I found uh, unbelievable that a man with a beard should be bringing down every Talmudic uh, reference to sex. You know, but uh, as a younger person, you know, I can't say that I didn't interest me. Um, We all have prurient interests. And so it was a book that I, I really loved. And I started reading the introduction, and in the introduction, he writes that there was a famous Polish Rebbe who went to see um,
0: a, a student
1: of, yeah. well, wait a second. He writes he went to see Freud, or a student of Freud. To yeah. me, I, 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 since I was trained in the Orthodox world, you know, and it, it, I, took it I took it literally. Polish, to me, was Polish. To me, Polish was Polish. That was the end of that. And uh, Freud was Freud. So I showed this to uh, Maya Katz years ago, and she took it from there. She was not trained in the orthodox literalism that I was, and she did the investigation. And to her, Polish didn't mean Polish. It meant Eastern European, and she was right. I mean, I mean, I'm not taking away credit from them. It's all the credit is all hers. I'm just adding a little. Um, uh, I'll make a little um, footnote to all of this. And I agree with you 1,000%. While the Yid in, 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 in as the Rebbe liked to laugh of, um, of what's the name of that city, um, uh, you know, in Russia where all the Lubavitches are from, uh, in white Russia,
0: um, Klimovich, yeah.
1: Klimovich, yeah. So while the Yid and Klimovich went to the Rashab to help him solve his mental merits problems, the Rashab himself didn't go to the Tzanzarov or to the Belzerov or to the uh, ger He went to a psychoanalyst. <laughs> he went to Shtekl to help him solve his problems. Shumu Shemayim. I hate to say this, but what, what, what is this all about? I mean, so the Rashab, his Hasidim come to him. Why didn't the Rashab take out the, like, you know, I must say that I, I once went to a rabbi for help for, uh, you know, I was having a difficult time. And the rabbi pulled out his thing from his desk, the board, and said, "Uh, listen, um, Plony Almoni, here are six Orthodox um, therapists in New York City, and, um, you know, try giving them a call there. I I can't help you. I'm a rabbi. I don't know anything. Give a sermon. So the Rashab didn't say that to his Hasidim. Rabbi, my marriage is falling apart. Hope Shalom mm. is problematic. Rather my team rather rather I got with the kids rather my wife can't give birth. No no, no. no.
0: come on, come on. It's no letsones, you know. You know, no letsones. So, well, let's uh, let's let's just say let's it's, just uh, I'm I'm only the, I'm listen, what, I'm, what
1: I'm only it, to hold this said, but I have to have one thing. If there's no letsones, how can I talk about the Oh, come on.
0: That's so, what I learned. You no, know, I mean. no. Listen, when, I, that, I, I, mean. I, no, no. I'm, I'm interested in, in cultural slice of this, and by cultural slice, I mean that the higher and the richer is the family, which included all the rabbis at the time, the more chances and likelihood of them assimilating earlier compared to a simple yidden in the villages. They just, just, it and, have, and,
1: have. and if
0: you, and you know, if, if you take if you take Maharaj, okay. Two other children of Maharash, one of them ended up in Corsica. But Rashab, which is a holy man, you know, he still did certain things that you wouldn't think the Rebbe would do. Whatever, God bless him, you know. But let's let's be like clear-headed about what what was happening, and how come oh, after and how come after two hundred years we have one surviving family, religious of all so of I- the Rebbe class?
1: We, we we let's let's just now um I you know, let's talk about Rablevik for a minute. All right. Um it's clear that Lar three children were not getting the classical Hasidic education. Uh it means clear from Mrs. Schneerson, Chana Schneerson, and not to be confused with Chana garari um, that um the Rebbe was exposed to serious secular study as a, as a kid. He had a globe, he had uh, maps of these of the universe. Um, um, you know, the Rebbe knew what was going on in the streets. The Rebbe, understood, you know, uh, for to believe her stories, and I do. You know, the Rebbe was a, uh, you know, was a kid who was more similar to someone who went to- Whose stories?
0: Um, whose stories? Hannah who? Schneerson. Okay, all right, Her memories? Mm-hmm.
1: If her memoirs seem to indicate that the Rebbe was more like a present-day student of Maimonides High School in Boston than mm-hmm. a present-day student in Olay Torah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's for sure. I mean, uh, how many kids in Olay Torah have a globe in their in their room at home? How many kids in Olay Torah know who the second president of the United States was? I mean, that, by the way, my offer stands. I, I don't want anyone to go look it up on, uh, on the internet, but... Uh, you know, how many off the bat? How many kids in all the Torah can tell me who the second president of America was? But then again, the answer is how many kids in New York public schools can tell me that? They probably don't know that either. But uh, so I'm getting off the tangent. But um, so Reb, 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 the second one, Grand Rabbi uh, Luba uh, Luba, alias Mark Garari, clearly became a communist, and Lubavitch is obfuscating. What really happened to him? He clearly became a communist. The fact that he knew Hasidus when he was a teenager—this, or this, so what? Many people, many people were like that. There are uh, shonavipirish. The Gemara has a word for it: shonavipirish. Higdiachas I mean, the Gemara is full of expressions about people like that. So, big deal. Okay. But, uh So, 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 even family- Let's
0: let's conclude because we we made no, a promise that it. we're going to be shorter, you know. But we're already <laughs> going, going over that. time.
1: Well, yeah, just one minute. I'm just going to finish Reb Levick. So Rob Levick's two, one one, the middle son clearly was secular. The youngest son, I don't want to pick on because apparently he wasn't altogether there. And the Rebbe, was, the Rebbe himself was more like a Torah Der Heretz person. The Rebbe himself was more, wasn't your classical chassid. Now we'll move um, vertically.
0: Reb Let's Leivik, go horizontally uh, from Rebbe.
1: So Reb Levi had two brothers, both of them rabbonim, and uh, we have a picture of one of them. He looked like a real traditional Reb. And um, so he, one of the one who went to Israel married a Chayn, Chasheva uh, family, and their daughter Zelda was religious. I will say that Zelda Schneerson was a very famous poet. She was a She was a daughter of
0: Levi's brother,
1: right? And she married uh, a Mishakovsky, who was from the Krynica Rovs family, a Litvisha, very. Very important British rabbi, and so fine. She didn't have any children either. Just, uh, just, uh, just, you know. The other, the other son uh, was also a rebbe in Russia. And by the way, I sent a rebbe. um, I I personally sent a rebbe a document signed by his uncle, and um, I never got an answer for it. I sent. I sent a rebbe a document signed by his father, and I. I did get a beautiful letter from the rebbe about that. Uh, A letter that came to me within. it came to me with the United States Postal Service in less than 48 hours. Um, I don't know how it got to me in less than 48 hours, but it did. This is not a Mayfus, it's just a true story. Um, when I sent him a copy of a document that his own father had signed. But when his uncle, I didn't, I and I, I you know, I didn't get any answer. I, I don't have, you know, I'm just giving, relating anything. The Rebbe already was an older person by that time, and I'm sure he had more important things to do. Um, but the other, the other uncle, uh, his son, I think his name was Mendel too, and he was a professor. He was not religious. I think he came to the United States with the Soviet immigration. That's um, what
0: is that a brother of who? Levick?
1: He's a son of a brother of Levick. Son of
0: brother of Levick.
1: Okay. Right, and we also have um, apparently in the latest uh, edition. I can't keep up. I don't. So wait to, a second. Uh, so
0: son, of, so the Levic's brother, son, came to United States with Russian immigration, Soviet immigration, That's and he was a professor where?
1: I think at Hunter College, if okay. my
0: memory serves me. Anyway- uh, professor, of a, one, professor of what? Uh, professor
1: of- In the hard sciences, who, what Russian Jew wasn't in the hard sciences?
0: Uh, there were a few, even, including Schneerson's, which, which, uh, which okay. we'll discuss uh, later on.
1: Them, but you have to admit
0: many of them were in the hard sciences, right? Okay. So anyway, the, was, certainly, are a good
1: cop, you know. They, they that's yeah, they yeah. well, you know, it's like, uh, you know, the Rebbe was an engineer, and Kornstein was an engineer, and Gerard was, was also a scientist. Luba. That's right. Are anyway, Luba. I'll just, right, I'm just going to finish this by saying that in the last edition of, um, of the uh, three volume biography of the Rebbe. Um, of oh, 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 Reblevi I'm sorry, by Gottlieb. What's it called? Toldo Slavi This It's grown from one volume, which I bought when it came out in probably 1977 or 78. It's grown to three volumes. Uh, maybe there are more editions. I don't know. It was given to me as a gift. I wouldn't have bought it. Not because I disrespect Reblevik, I do, but, you know, I'm, I mean, three volumes means there's a lot of fluff there. But there's a few interesting things. Apparently, um, Reblevik had a sister. And uh, it seems that this sister, I don't know if she was religious or not, but apparently uh, some of her descendants came to Israel. And when they came to Israel, apparently they were not religious either. And, of course, um, Reb Lubez, uh, Mark Garari, uh, alias um, ILA. ILA, his daughter is not religious, Delia Rothman. And, or, and I believe she's divorced. Her name isn't Rothman anymore. I don't know what her name is. Um, Dahlia, let's call her Dahlia, Dahlia Schneerson. She's not religious and her children are not religious. And, um, and I believe I read someplace that the Rebbe told the lobometrist to keep away from her. So uh, isn't it fascinating that the few descendants of Reblevik, Dahlia and her two sons, and um, the, descent, the only descendant of the Rayats, Gerari, are neither none of them are really Lubavitchers or were Lubavitchers. I mean, Barry was not a Lubavitcher, but it's also fascinating that um, Barry was a Shomer Shabbos. I don't care what Lubavitchers will
0: say, and uh, you know, I have more than a few. Yeah, you couldn't was, help to, it but end with Barry Guralnik, could you?
1: Well, you know, because you know, <laughs> you, you know why, you know why, you know why? Because yes. he is, he is the final chapter of true Chabad. You know, oh. I have no interest. In, I have no interest in Chabad made up of of um, people, many of them should be in mental institutions. Of a Chabad made up of hucksters. Of a Chabad made up of PR men. Of a Chabad made up of of uh, of finan- financiers. Of a Chabad made up of people who go out a shluchim into towns with two and a half Jews. This is not. This has no interest to in me. What is it? It's NCSY. NCSY does better work, as a matter of fact, for less money and with less PR. So uh, what does it have to do with Chabad? I mean... Let's, uh, hey, come I on, remember,
0: come on, come on. Hey, uh, let's, let's just do it pure it history. No no emotional tone.
1: It's not emotional. What does it have to do with Chabad? I mean, it's like saying that today... No, no, but we'll, we'll,
0: we'll take care of that uh, subject what, what at, at its time. Gonna, but, I, I, but I have to... Be,
1: But what does today's Democratic Party have to do with Andrew Jackson? Nothing. I mean, it has nothing to do with it over the course of uh, 200 years. It's grown. It's it's a different organization. Same thing. I mean, you're telling me that Donald Trump has anything to do with Abraham Lincoln. I mean, the Republican Party today is the Republican Party of, of John Fremont in 1856. No, it's not. And the same thing is true with Chabad. Chabad has grown out of its antecedents, and it's no longer what Chabad was. There may be some people in Crown Heights who are Chabad chassin. Next time, I have to read you a uh, from a sefer, that, a biography of the first chief rabbi of Tel Aviv, Rabbi Aronson. Rabbi Aronson was a Chabad Chosin, but he wasn't a Lubavitcher chassin, and he was not connected to any Rebbe. And there's an interesting two pages that needs to be read. To, to all the cultists out there, you know, um, they need to know about this, that throughout Chabad history, there are many, many people who felt themselves to be Chabad Hasidim, who studied Chabad Hasidus even, but had no connection. They didn't have what to use the Lubavitcher term. They had no hiskashers to any Rebbe. And it was an accepted fact. It was an accepted Thing that you can be a chabad hasid and have no askasrus to a rebbe. Yeah, you want it, fantastic. But you know, um, you didn't have to be a mukusher to be a chabad hasid. As a matter of fact, the only people I know today who understand chabad Hasidis are people who are not hasidim. People, they're very religious people, very religious, and uh, but they're not. Uh, they have no askasrus to Rebbe. Anyway, that's uh, so. Anyway, I'm gonna wrap up what I have All to right. say in one. Okay. Please. And one second, that I think you uh, and to a lesser extent myself have proven that um, at least we, we have hypothesized that given um, the, the economic position and the um, official position of the Chabad uh, Schneerson family and who they were in social relations with. By the way, Acharaom was another member of the Chabad of the Schneerson family. And, you know, the great Acharaom, the uh, Founder of cultural Zionism, so to speak, was also he married at Schneerson, so a close relative of Bereshov. So there's another
0: one. Um, so yeah, um, <laughs> you, you live the, the interesting this, things till the end, okay?
1: The end. Yeah. Well, you know, I can't remember a thing I'm talking about. So you know, uh, I got too excited. So that's why I. That's yeah. why I, uh, <laughs> I can't. Uh, I have a. I have personal interest in this, so I yeah, mean, you know, it's, it's like they say. Like um, you said,
0: you held, you haven't dealt with Chabad in years.
1: <laughs> I, I really don't, you know. It's not, you know, in the, when when the science of Judaism, which is the Wissenschaft des Judentums, was started yeah. by Leopold Kunz and uh-huh. Steinheimer. Um, what they wanted was cold scholarship, cold scholarship. They didn't want anyone to get excited that the uh, Gemara disagreed, that the Zohar says things that weren't in the Gemara. It would be cold. It would say, very frankly, the Zohar has, te- has added on lots of rituals to Judaism, but not. don't get excited about it. I unfortunately can't do that. I do get excited about it. I do get emotional and it's not cold scholarship, but I think, you know, the reasons you enumerated are the facts that um, the Schneerson family, I don't have all the uh, facts, I don't, but the facts speak for themselves that after World War II, there were hardly any religious Schneerson's. And as far as I can tell during the war, Besides uh, Rabbi Yehuda Ever, whose wife was a Schneerson, who was again part of the Zalman Schneerson clan, he and Zalman Schneerson of Lodge, who had nothing to do with, um, who was the descendant of the Mittel Rebbe, not of the Tzemach uh, Zalman of Lodge was killed, and his son was killed. They were both very prominent Lubavitchers who, who were originally from uh, White Russia, and after World War One settled in Lodge. But I don't know of any other Schneerson's, uh, you know, who, who were killed. Probably in Russia there were, I, I don't doubt it. Um, but, uh, you know, and you've uh, posted about various Schneerson's, or uh, Kedish, Rabon, and Shochtim who were imprisoned by the Soviets. And apparently most of them were too, related to the,
0: to the Zalman Schneerson of Paris clan, right? Yeah, the the, the ones that write, Mar- Margolis Schneerson writes, yes.
1: Right so um i don't know i mean i don't even i don't know i mean maybe maybe i'm missing something i will say this as a kid i told you this and i'll just finish with this as a kid uh you know i guess i always had morose thoughts because you know my family was all killed in the war uh you know except for my parents and so i was always wondering who's going to be the next lubovitcher ever and um I always had this uh, sort of dream when I closed my eyes that there was uh, some Schneerson sitting someplace like Saratov or in Perm or wherever with a long beard and a casket and studying Hasidus. And he would be the person. He would eventually get out of Russia and come to America, and he would be proclaimed after the Rebbe, after 120 years, as the Rebbe. Uh, but it was not to be. Not only wasn't it to be, but the older I got, the more I realized that besides Barry Garari, there was no natural uh H E I R hair or air, I can't pronounce it. Um, or maybe like in Russian, gear. But um, um but, but when I found out, then I started to think about the Rebbe's brother. Ah, I said to myself as a 14 year old, the Rebbe has a brother, he had a brother, certainly his children are religious. Then I was disappointed again that the Rebbe found out that the Rebbe's brother wasn't religious, his daughter wasn't religious. And then I thought about this person and that person, and gornished nothing, zero. And as you say, this started long before communism. And it started and didn't have much to do with Hitler. Although, as I said in my last, uh, that Hitler killed tens of thousands of the in him. But, uh, you know, it didn't really impact on what we're talking about. Um, there was, I don't know what it is. I, I can't I can't put my finger why, unlike the Teitelbaum's, the Tverski's, the Halberstam's, the Eichenstein's, the uh, Hager's. The altars of Ger, um Horowitzes of Rupchitz, um, Biedermans. i can can't—I can't find a reason why, you know, why all these other dynasties and more still have dozens and dozens of um, religious rabbis, rabbis, whatever you want to call them, and person like, uh, you know, the Torskis from Milwaukee, you know. Uh, so one Tversky is a rabbi in Milwaukee, but his brothers, one was a famous psychiatrist, another is a the, the former dean of Hofstra Law School, another one was an accountant, in, uh, and, a, and a, still another one was a rabbi, rabbi, guru in Denver. I mean, that's just an example. Um, I, I just, you know, and these people are all secularly educated, but in the Schneerson family, now, who do you come across this? Ned Schneyerson, who's a writer who was a writer for Time magazine. there's a Schneerson in America who's a famous surgeon. Many of these people, by the way, aren't Jewish anymore. they're not Jewish. Um, I don't want to say this they're not Jewish um, and in the Soviet Union, every anything goes. I just wanted to add one final thing just because I am neurotic that uh, but, hello, yes, yes, yeah. That the Babroisker, who the Lubavitchers, you know, um, yeah, I mean, now maybe they've adopted a more docile attitude towards. But, you know, in the old days, they'd laugh at him, you know, um, tell the famous story that uh, the Babroisker and the Rashab were both at a rabbinical conference. And then their wives, who were first cousins as well, uh, corresponded. And uh, Mrs. Babroisker told Mrs. Uh, Lubavitcher that mine money freimer for dein Mann and uh mm-hmm. mrs Mrs. answered her of her mindminded Kleager uh-huh. uh, so um but the Bobbroska children, his grandchildren, his son, who probably would have become the rever in Nah Mendelhne Shen Yukon's Domo was killed by my favorite people, the Ukrainians, you know who uh you know, I won't say because i don't I don't want to give a political plug to my own theories. But uh, the Ukrainians killed uh, killed uh, Rebenaham Mendel Schneerson in, in cold blood. Uh, Rebenaham Mendel's children made it to Eretz Israel, and some of their descendants are religious Jews. I met a girl many years ago in uh, someone's house on Shabbos who was a descendant of the Berbersker, and she had, was a Beshako graduate. She was very religious. She knew nothing about Chabad, though. You know, but but she was extremely fluent. So. Um, that That much is true, you know, and I remember being in uh in seven seventy and there was a man there. I didn't get to see him, so I don't know if he was chassid or not, but his name was Mr. Barbash, and that's a part of the bababareska family, and they and, he, and I think he was given a pluskata race or something. I mean, my memories are unclear. he was given some sort of honor, and they said he was in the base of Rav from the family of, but in general, you know um. The family, as you say, is completely assimilated. It's not even acculturated, assimilated. Even in the family of Isaac Schneerson, Isaac himself went to Paris and started the documentation documentation center to document the Holocaust in France and the memorial there. His son lives in Hong Kong. And as far as I can tell, he ain't religious either. And his children aren't either. So um, that's that. And the person in Moscow who apparently has the original painting of... uh, Avi and uh, our friend uh, Rabbi Levin uh, wrote wrote about this whole parsha in Kachabad or someplace else, and uh, he too ain't religious. So uh,
0: that's what it is. Okay. On that note, uh, thank you very much for your time and your memories.
1: Thank you, and I apologize for getting on tangents, and I apologize uh, it's okay. it's
0: right. I for going off on. Uh, no, 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 no. This is this is worth gold. It's, it's what? It's worth gold.
1: Oh. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know if it's worth gold, but it's uh, it's worth it's it's good therapy. That much I can say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, Zaykisun. Me a, a have a wonderful Fourth of July. You as well. Thank you.